0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Cloud of Compass podcast. This is Lori Smith, your host. You want to know more about me? Do you want to work with me? Do you like what I have to say? Um, do you want to write me hate mail? Check me out on social media. I'm at Cloud A Compass 2021 on TikTok and Cloud of Compass 2021 on Instagram. I started this podcast because I wanted to share my knowledge, skills, and experience as an LMSW of 20 years. I am a survivor of help that harmed. I have had mental health issues. My ACEs score is high. I've had a history of trauma, but I also have some professional skills, knowledge, and experience that you might benefit from. I have been a certified diabetes educator for 10 years. I have worked in um, doctor's offices as a care manager with chronic health issues i am certified um, i'm a certified anxiety treatment provider certified um, trauma provider certified in compassion fatigue addiction informed mental health and most recently a human rights consultant i am the author of the book life hacks with life hacks tips and tricks for accessing your inner resilience i am the owner of resilience coach which is an outpatient behavioral health therapy and most recently i am the owner of Cloud a compass coaching consulting um, which is part of this podcast. I have courses in, um, recovery oriented material, uh, neurodivergent, um, information coming in. So I have courses, I have webinars, I have um, guests on my podcast. I have merchandise coming out soon. I have a link tree on my social media where you can access all of these things. I'd love for you to learn more about me. Love to you to you to see if we are a good fit for working together and in the month of december i am hosting a half off special of my of my signature course um, because i want to share this information with the world it is a six-week course with 12 sessions um, 12 videos of me Um, again i'm a little neurodivergent, so it's a little um it's not what you're gonna expect from a course on transformation but it is useful information it is what i have found practical in my practice it has the 12 video sessions but it also has 200 page workbook of tools for self-regulation and we teach how to uncover your own in a skill set this is why i called my company clouded compass because there are things that we have not been pointed towards and once we align with our internal assets our life becomes um, a little bit, uh, 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 we become empowered period. So check me out, check me out on all my social media. Please leave comments. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear you. Um, see you join my course and please leave comments about the podcast too. I'd love to know what your favorite um, podcasts are, which ones you think really suck and let's build community together. Let's educate, empower, and evolve. And let's uncover your own innate assets. Stay tuned. Hey everybody! Welcome to Cloud Compass Podcast again. I am so excited. I am here with a very special guest, Marianne Petrie. She is the host of her own podcast called Slam the Gavel. She is an author and she is a survivor. And so that's all I'm going to say about it. I'm going to hand it over to Marianne. And Marianne, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what um, what your podcast is and how you got into it. And let's just let's just have fun. Okay.
1: (laughs) So, you know, you have to go through an experience that is unpleasant, such as family court, and the injustices, the collusion, the conflicts of interest, and um, the sneaky ways of family court to destroy a target parent. And um, I have decided, you know, when people were saying, what happened to the kids? You know, what happened to the kids? That's when I decided to write the book, dismantling family court corruption, why taking the kids was not enough, which can be found on Amazon. Uh, But, you know, that felt good to write the book to get it out and get my side of the story out. Because the collusion, as I told you before, was the ex was married to a woman who worked in the courthouse. So everything was rigged to begin with. So Writing the book really helped uh, alleviate the stress of when someone says, What happened to the kids? It's like, Well, you can go find the book and read about it. I know that yes. sounds horrible. I've developed a dark sense of humor because of this. But yeah. uh, you know, from there, I decided, you know, I saw other people running podcasts on this type of subject. And I thought, Well, I'm going to start my own, slam the gavel. And that can be found on all platforms as well as YouTube. And I got into that uh, September 20th of 2020. And um, I'm in my- So for those of you, um, just, I
0: wanna pause there. For those of you who are wondering about her backstory, I interviewed you last year. I don't do podcast numbers because my brain doesn't think that way, but I will link it to the podcast notes. Your story is that you had an incredibly difficult time in the courts it it caused all kinds of sort of upheaval and chaos. Um, You thought you were trying to be probably um, do something good in divorcing a husband who, (laughs) uh, you know, we could go into all kinds of details, but what happened was that you got harmed in the process of doing something that you needed to do Mm -hmm. for yourself. So her, I'll link to that podcast episode. She's been through hell. She wrote this book, which, I want to touch on the book a little bit before we get into the podcast because what did that do for you? Because again, when you're in a traumatic situation and people are asking you all the time, it's like it's like when somebody dies, they just oh, how are you? Oh, you know, tell me your backstory. I am exhausted, I don't have time and energy to tell you this. So, what did writing the right. book do for you?
1: It just it was a regurgitation of all the emotions and um the the trial scene is in there it's not and the book is really not all about my horrific experience i went into depth about title 4d um right child psychological abuse and i've quoted karen woodall dr childress um uh attorney nick Bala. you know so i've got um more of a a psychological dissertation in there which was very stressful I was just glad yeah. to get it out uh, right. because there was more and this is how this works you know like if people don't understand well if even go towards the back of the book this is where all these the documentation from psychologists are there even Dr. Mark Roseman and that just helped to explain my side of the story
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you know, you get all sorts of comments from people when a book comes out and someone actually said, well, this is just her side of the story. I'd like to hear his side of the story. And mm-hmm. I was kind of, you know, um, like, thinking to myself, well, dig up the transcripts yourself. He had exactly say in <laughs> right. It's all in the and court record. It, right? It's all in the court record. If you want to look it up, I already paid for these transcripts. And no, I'm not going to make copies and send them to you right Uh, we're not victimizing yeah we're not and I I said we're not going to re-victimize the victim okay it's just not happening
0: yes and one thing that I hear though in you writing the story like you said you didn't just focus on yourself you shared pertinent information that could help other people in that book yes going through a custody
1: battle right and it was really a handbook because it's only 150 pages so it's a handbook for parents that maybe are thinking of going to family court. And my message is don't go there. But, you know, if you get sucked into it, which is what happened to me, because, you know, a little bit of the background was I was co-parenting beautifully with the ex for mm-hmm. almost 10 years and people need oh to my know god them. So it was going great for 10 years until I had the bright idea to play matchmaker and introduce him to a woman who I was not sure or couldn't remember. She did work in the courthouse. And that's when the trouble began. Oh, wow. So, you know, people think I went through a divorce and then into this custody. And it's like, no, we were fine for 10 years. And it all also blossomed when I remarried then okay. all, all broke loose then wow wow and, so uh, like just
0: the just the total crack in reality from going from you know I see my kids all the time and then all of a sudden like where is this stuff coming let's twilight zone experience which again to your to your point with your podcast which I'll let you talk about in a second it isn't just happening to you. It isn't just happening to me. It's happening to us. It's happening to we. So tell us, okay, so in 2020, you decided you needed to talk about these things on a podcast.
1: Right, right. I needed to let people know and talk to other parents, as well as experts on the travesties of family court and the damages it does to the family and it's designed to do that actually it's just uh, as other guests have said it's a very well oiled machine it's designed and working beautifully because it's a 50 to 80 billion dollar a year business
0: yes and I will add that prisons are a business. Pharmacog- pharmacological medication, which I do support in some cases, is a business. Foster care is a business. I mean, these are all yes. now to the point where they're very well-oiled machines. But why do you think it's set up that way?
1: Because of the incentives of Title IV B, D, and E. And- okay, and what
0: is that for my listeners who don't know anything about the courts?
1: Okay, so Title 4B is CPS money. Title okay. 4D is child enforcement, uh, child support enforcement. Okay. Title 4E is foster care money. So each child is worth what four to five thousand dollars. After they get adopted, they're worth thirteen thousand. Okay. Uh, that's what people have been telling me. And every state is different. So I can't say the exact figures for sure because every state is different but this is a when you say worth it worth it to who to the state okay Uh, so the state gets money yes for every child taken out of the home they get a kickback and so does the caseworker and the agency Okay.
0: I wanted to point that out. Thank you. Because I, I see a direct parallel with the way that our legal system is set up 400 years ago to um, treat humans as property. And that was 400 years yes. ago, but here we are in 2023 and children don't have rights. Children don't have no, rights and-, and, and parents often don't, but, but in the system, they are treated as a commodity, as a property.
1: Right which leads us to human trafficking and that's what they're doing yes. in the court system because okay so so you you remove a child from a loving fit home based on a false accusation and put them in foster care where they're going to be heavily abused for money okay then okay the, another scenario is you're in family court and the judge takes away the kids from the ta- the targeted Parent and gives them to the abuser. That's also human trafficking because what happens next is the abuser goes after the target parent for child support. Okay. And usually there's a playbook with that. And I've heard from a lot of these interviews I've done, even what happened to myself is that they will place a false allegation on you where you cannot work your job because if there's an, an accusation of emotional or you know, sexual abuse. You are suspended from work. You cannot work until you are cleared of this.
0: Okay. And
1: uh, my so because that's a criminal charge, right? Well, yeah, that it should be handled as a criminal charge, but somehow they're handling this in family court, which is. What would not... be some
0: scenarios where you wouldn't be allowed to go to work? Like, why would it impact your work?
1: Okay, because I was a nurse, I worked in the ER. So I would, you know, be treating kids, okay, because of this alleged emotional abuse allegation, I couldn't be around kids. And so the ex took full advantage of that. And as soon as the judge gave him the order of full soul bodily custody of these kids, that very same day, hot off the press of that order, he ran down to domestic relations, and he filed on child support. Okay. And I want to. Exactly. So first, we have an allegation. And
0: I know, like, for some of my listeners, they might be thinking like, well, okay, really, this happens like false allegations, but it's insidious. So can you describe two or three examples of a, an allegation that would raise the flag high enough to investigate because they must investigate to get them tra- you know, to get, like, how does this, how does that part work?
1: Um, in your okay. uh, interviews? Mm. Okay, well, okay, so when they place a false allegation on you, you have to immediately appeal it. And I had an attorney who was all over that, thank God. And, okay, okay, so I don't know how to answer your question. Um, Well, let's do it together. So once an allegation is
0: on the radar of the court, you are then guilty before innocent. Yes, you are. Okay, so I, because of my experience with CPS, I wanted to fill in some of those blanks. So it doesn't matter if you did it or not. If somebody makes a report to CPS about you, it must be investigated, which is the law, Like, and let's investigate problems, but then how does mm-hmm. it get so, do you, do you know anything about how it gets so awry of the court? Oh,
1: <laughs> yes. Okay, so in a lot of cases, These attorneys have worked with the judges in some capacity in the courthouse. Okay, like like my opposing attorney worked with the judge, even his wife worked with the judge in the DA's department for years. And I went to recuse him, and he just refused to. And we had just started out the case. And the judge says, I know this case better than anyone else. It's like, how can you? We've only just begun. Right. Uh, But, see, that's where the um, spouse of the ex working in the courthouse, she knew to connect the dots of what attorney to pick for the judge that worked very well together. Right. And the president judge was of no help whatsoever. He could have nipped that in the bud in the very beginning when we were pulled in front of him, I don't know if you want to hear that story or not. No, I, what
0: I, I I want to inter interject here because this I want to explain this process because it's insidious. So again, you have the you have the complaint, you're guilty before innocent. Then you have to have the financial means to go into the court <sighs> system to defend yourself. And then it depends on who has the, the, who could afford the attorney who has the connections to make the agreement. Mm -hmm. And whoever, unfortunately, in the legal system, whoever has the most money tends to get their needs met. So then we have this, again, human trafficking situation where kids are just, um, you know, moved from home to home precisely because of big, uh, good old boy relationships. Is that what I'm like? Is that your experience?
1: Yes. Yes. And, uh, it was just amazing to watch because, you know, I, I had two attorneys and I had racked up, um, alone. Then I started swiping charge yes. cards oh. because you, you had to, because when they took the kids away, then it's like, I had to fight the child support battle because yes. the judge. The child support judge wasn't getting it through her brain that, okay, this person has been suspended on allegations. We're waiting to hear the result of the allegations. If the allegations come out that she's exonerated and innocent, I'm going to wipe away the child support, which is what she should have done. But no, she continued the charade that I could work as a full-time nurse when I was always per diem my whole life, pretty much, raising these kids. Okay. Okay. And then what she did was inflate the child support arrears to three. uh, She upgraded it to 3000, bringing me to 15,000. And this is what they do. And this is like completely illegal. And then, but what we didn't know was, okay, so I was indicated in November. And we had to wait for a hearing, which was on April 15th before a CPS judge. Yes. And we did really well and then but you have to wait from april to june to see if you're exonerated see how long this wait takes? without without an income without an income because yeah. i did apply for unemployment they did send two checks and i thought oh everything's going to be okay but as soon as they found out about that indication they completely stopped the unemployment so this affects your ability to access resources right wow okay and that And that meant my husband had my my current husband had to take jobs out of the state to make more money to make up for my income. Now, I found it very unusual in the caseworkers report that she was stating that um, I was complaining that my husband had to take jobs out of state. It's like, Well, when I met him, he was already taking jobs out of state. He let me know up front that if we get involved in this relationship, I I'm barely home. And I, you know, and I understood that, but that's not what I was complaining about. And she was trying to say that I was complaining because I wasn't getting enough child support. Then she was focusing on my ex's pension fund. She knew more about his finances than I did. She was so focused and fixated because she, um, even in court, was just going after my my complaints of child support, which really I didn't have any. Um, and then um, I, I think I did ask him for an increase. But bear in mind, when we co-parented well, he asked me, do you need help with child support? I said, just a little bit. I okay. said, I don't need, you know, um, a whole lot. I You know, so we agreed on a figure and we went with that figure for six years but then you know inflation happened i did ask him for an increase she didn't like that his wife did not like that oh my gosh and so we
0: so we have again so uh, yes we want to place children where they're financially sound but you have a financially well-off person against a person who we don't even know yet is guilty or not but they can't afford to go to the court or they can't afford you know, a job or they're getting behind in child support now when we don't even know if they're guilty. And so this creates just a, a situation where the children are placed with, um, just not for the reasons of the well-being of the children.
1: Right. Right. Because the, the caseworker uh, perjured on the stand and said she she removed the, the, the kids because she had, she knows a fit parent. I'm like, wait a minute. I've been a registered nurse for almost 23 years. And now, you know, yeah. not only yeah. her, but the the opposing attorney and the judge were calling me batshit crazy. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, this was okay. So the, the 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 glitch was, and this happens to a lot of parents when there's been one false accusation, it's usually followed by another. So as soon as I was exonerated of the first one, four days later, comes down another false oh, accusation girl. of emotional child abuse, which I might add was filed in April. I think it was between April 10th and April 15th. Now bear in mind, the kids were taken March 2nd. So they were out of my custody. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I barely saw them. Uh, if I did, it was supervised visits. Cause you know, I'm so dangerous. And Uh, There's a dark humor, but, you know, there was no chance to anyway. um, Yeah. So the judge, even though I was exonerated of the first charge as we went through the summer, because the ex was withholding, even though the judge, I had two judge orders for visitation on like, I think it was Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, the ex just, you would drive to the house, the lights are on and no one's home. So he wouldn't let me see the kids basically all summer, and there are actually laws on the books, and people need to know this. I did a podcast with Claudia Ovias last week, and she's in Texas, and she has, uh, you know, there are laws on the books that even law enforcement don't know about regarding custodial interference. Oh wow! Yes, and I didn't know that, and I wish are I would they have known our that. state. Um, every state is different. Okay. Um it you know if a parent I guess you'd have to listen to Claudia uh, Claudia's okay. podcast but it gets to the point where if a parent does this uh so many times or whatever it can turn into a felony and he should have oh, been wow. charged with oh, a felony. Wow. Okay. So I definitely so once, yeah
0: if, if, um, if that podcast tells like where to find those laws, because I think a lot of parents in this situation would benefit from that. And I just don't think uh, my experience um, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of child abuse and it does happen, but the mm-hmm. way that it's dealt with in the courts is, is twilight zone-ish. And I don't think in general, we are savvy with our rights but I mm-hmm. particularly parenting, like we just, where do we look? Like I'm not a parent, but like, nobody gives you this rule book. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody explains to you how the courts work. Right. And I know that you did your own case and all that. Like there's so many opportunities to understand your rights, but this is why I want people to listen to your podcast. Cause you explore all these yeah. things with experts and ex- people, parents who have
1: experience with this. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, it's just very um like you said everything happens very insidious yes like with my oldest you know I believe the brainwashing and I can look back and say yes it started at age 10 with her then you know things just started getting rougher and I thought well you know maybe it's hormones maybe she's trying to assert her adulthood at the age of 15, uh, whatever. Um, And then 16, it got worse. And then 16, going on 17, it really got worse. Mm. Um, There was a huge fight in the living room between her and myself. And it involved her wanting to go on the birth control pill. And all I said was, You have to be monitored. A family doctor is not going to give you the birth control pill. You have to go to a gynecologist. She says to me right away, I'm calling a judge. (laughs) <laughs> because she oh, knew that language. Yes, and I thought, oh, she's saying that, and then she stormed upstairs, and then sure enough, a month later, we've got CPS at our door. Oh my goodness, how many,
0: like, and, and that's, can, I can attest that that is not a pleasant experience for anybody when CPS knocks on your door. It's just very scary and intimidating and frightening, and so to have it happen more than once and to <laughs> not really Not really have strong evidence as to what you exactly did wrong. Right. Um, Because emotional abuse is really, really hard to prove unless you have specific examples. And it typically is not something that they go to the courts with. You got to build a case. But it's, yeah, like you and your daughter had a disagreement. And then because she knew her (laughs) rights, she used them. Somebody educated her to use them. It's, it's right. because you had a a case, quote unquote, and a history with the courts, you were already on the radar as guilty. So that's oh, yes. how, this is how we create. This is how we criminalize
1: people. Yes, and, and this pathologize
0: how- basic human behavior.
1: Right, and uh, you're working with you're dealing with a bunch of sociopaths, and when the judge said on March second that he was giving the father full custody. His entourage, like his pews were filled with, um, you know, his, his wife, her sisters, the grandparents who have known me for 20 years. And I was praised so much for raising my kids very well by themselves. They all stood up laughing, clapping and cheering. And my attorney, we just looked at each other like, what the heck? Is going on here so we let them leave first like we don't want any contact with these people and then as we were it's a winding you know um way to get out of the courtroom but the wife was in the hallway crying to her sisters and my lawyer said what does she have to cry about i said i don't know and what happened was When I was exonerated, the judge didn't care. Now, this is on the first indication. He continued the charade that I was still emotionally abusive and mentally ill. And then what he did, though, even though I was under a second indication, that August, when he found out that I wasn't seeing my kids, then he ordered uh, unsupervised visitation, I could have the, the boys every other weekend as a non-custodial parent. And as soon as he said that, the entourage flipped out and was yelling and screaming. Oh, Lord. And it was like, I, my, yeah, well, my, my lawyer said to me, this has never been done. You're under an indication and he's giving you those kids unsupervised. He said, this is a miracle. Do you realize that? Mm, but not your daughter. She wouldn't have anything to do with me. Okay. No by it, that time. It, yeah, because she had been sequestered, she recommended to the judge, I believe twice, and I've got the transcripts that she recommended that the, the boys would be better off with their father. <sighs> What I find remarkable about these
0: situations is that um everybody this is like a this is like you said the entourage it's like a sporting event yes. where we're the winner and none of it is based on the well-being of the child. Right. And it, it, it on the surface it is right like oh here's my decree they're safer here except for this convoluted sort of like good guy bad guy bullshit that we get the courts are designed to pick a good guy and bad guy that is the role of the courts somebody has you're to win and somebody has to lose and the loser is then criminalized but it's not that easy what when you're told that you are an emotionally abusive mother who doesn't deserve to <laughs> see her kids how would i what my area of specialties special expertise would say is how do you get through that what helps you survive that what and I've experienced that myself in my own criminalization how do you survive an experience where the world is telling you you're one thing but you know very very clearly that you are not what they're
1: telling you right when all this started you know at the at the end of 2014 when this first accusation allegation came out um, I went to my family doctor and I said, This is what's happening. And, um, you know, who, you know, can you recommend a psychiatrist? Because I need an anti anxiety, antidepressant. I don't want to be crying all over the place. Yeah. And so he, he recommended an excellent psychiatrist who Good. listened. And if I didn't like a medication, we worked together to fix, find it, whatever that would work. And I was calm in court because, believe it or not, I feared having a heart attack in there because you're getting- what you s- actually
0: did at one point.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that came afterwards. And I completely blame the ex, his wife, anyone involved in this. I actually s- sent out a letter um, and I CC'd everybody. We're talking the governor, attorney general, all the attorneys, everybody involved, saying that, you know, if anything happens to me, they will be held accountable. Mm. And this, this was after the heart attack. Okay, wow. But, and I don't know, um, somehow you have to stop this somehow. And it seems like with that letter, with everybody knowing yes. what's, what's going on, it, it, I don't know. My one attorney that I hired afterwards when I won the Superior Court Rolling on the child support to be fixed, which never should have happened to begin with, she said she would not have sent that letter. But you know what? I I don't care. I I've lost everything, you know. Right. And you and and part of this is that we, at
0: some point, again in these situations where we're pegged as the criminal, at some point we have to do what's best for us. We can no longer capitulate to people who don't have our best interest in mind. And writing that letter, what I have found is. I don't, whether there's an outcome from that or not, transparency lets us all on the same page of, I am aware that this is a shit show. I am aware that you're causing issues in my life. And I'm just letting us all know that this is not okay with me. You know, I'm using what I, I have to use, which is my voice. And I have a right to write you a letter, whether you read it or not, or burn it, who cares? But this is where I am taking responsibility for my own well-being and Mm -hmm. I'm no longer allowing you to have complete control over that.
1: No. And in in the beginning, you know, I had a female opposing attorney and she was, I've never seen anyone so brutal and nasty. I mean, I've worked with the public, you know, being a nurse, you get screamed at and yelled at, and even being a psychiatric nurse as well. I've never been treated like this. And yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so her job. Uh, but that that was to the point of being completely unethical. Uh, really um so what I did was I asked God and uh believe me I stayed close to God and I said God get her out mm-hmm. of my life. I don't care how you do it just remove her from this case, get her out of my life. And God answered me within Four months and she had to she had to pull herself off the case because she had colon cancer okay the,
0: the usefulness of a prayer and higher power I mean it's not like as long as you're not attached to the outcome it can be a really useful tool to survive these things
1: right right so I then I ended up with her her husband her spouse and oh. i could handle him a lot better he was not he was docile compared to her okay <laughs> um, so when i went pro say i could totally handle him in fact i enjoyed it <laughs> because and, and i don't know and this is strange and i don't know what you think of this but when you when you're dealing with these people for so long it's almost like you start adopting their behaviors it, well you know, yes What happens
0: is you, again, you, you start to um, unconsciously um, internalize what they're telling you about yourself. And so it's not that you become a different person, but you start because you're the only thing, you know, is what you're being told. You start to creep farther and farther away from who you are. By the end of my criminalization, I didn't know up from down. I didn't know who I was. I thought that I was the worst human being ever, but I also played the game the way that they did in terms of, I will tell you what you want to hear to do your job. I know this is a game. I know that we're just performing here and I know that you don't have my best interest in mind, but I don't know what else to do at this point.
1: Right. Right. In fact, I noticed, and I I put this in the book that the opposing attorney would use gestures for dramatics, you know, like when he would, answer you and I was like wow he reminds me of a perone I think I'm going to try what he's doing because it's working for him and so (laughs) so you know we went before now now we were at the point of of the child support judge which was a female and she was nasty she should be pulled off the bench and defrocked and uh she was the one continuing the charade that I was a full-time registered nurse even through indications where I could not work at all with children which is again let's point to this okay so I'm gonna I'm the court and I'm gonna
0: tell you well you are a registered nurse meaning you're a competent capable educated woman who can make an income and um you're also this really horrible criminal
1: which one is it make a fucking choice yeah, and the thing was, you know, the opposing attorney standing there calling me mentally ill. How can right. you make someone who's mentally ill and not able to work really legally not able to work, yes, pay child support? Well, and to 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 top this
0: off again with with the just the insidiousness of this process, you had not been on any psychotropic medications before this, in, no, like regardless even if you've been in like 10 five years ago who cares but because of this you are put on psychotropic medications to allow you to endure this and that is also a weapon then that they can use and say well she is crazy because she's on psych meds
1: right right see and that started and i'm telling people right now when you're on the witness stand and if a judge says what are you on say vitamin C, uh, B12, because those are medications. People don't realize yep. that, but I was too honest. And I said, I'm taking a small crumb, which is about this big of Adivan, which I'd been yep. taking for years because after my evening yes. shift, I would need to fall asleep. It's not, I was using it as a sleep aid and it was a yeah. crumb, but he, after that, boom, I was yeah. seriously mentally ill. So they make you get a psych eval. This is how they drag out cases, okay? So I had this pristine psych eval. I even, I even asked the psychologist to come in and testify. And at the last minute, I emailed him. Sure enough, I see him coming down the hall on that day of that trial. And he sat in the chair and he shot down the whole opposition. Did it help? No. The judge still continued the charade. He didn't want to he didn't want to hear what that and, and that psychologist had to say and he had credentials that were so long uh, he was he was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, go ahead. Oh the the opposing attorney said, "Well, it, do you see her mental health re- declining? It's in the transcript." He said, "No, not at all." Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, oh,
0: but still Again, another hook where this is my, I get so rageful, women who, if they have ever used a substance or have ever used a psychotropic medication that will be pulled up in court and men too, but more to the point of women, if you've ever had a substance use issue and you have children, you are automatically criminalized. Let's say somebody has chronic pain and they're taking opiates. If you told the court on that stand to your point, zip your lip and don't give more information than's needed. If you told them you were on a chronic pain medication that was a schedule, um, I can't remember the schedules, but you know, an opiate, or if you mm-hmm. had a psychotropic medication, or if you had a substance use issue, In the past or even currently then you would have to probably get signed up to do drug testing at your expense once again recriminalizing and revictimizing you and that has nothing to do with how you parent it's in the research yes substance use can cause damage in your life so can mental health issues and so can an invasive court that is carceral and wants to paint you as a criminal
1: yes yes and you know, I I thank God I was on those medications because it kept me level headed.
0: Um uh, yeah, right. So, I hear
1: you. Uh, when I was on the witness stand and the judge, and this is after the CPS caseworker perjured herself all over the place, <clears throat> he asked me, the judge said, So everything you that she has said is a fallacy. And I said, Yes, everything she said is a fallacy. And then he yelled. Uh, like he really boomed his voice. He said, You are appalling on this witness stand. <laughs> I'm like, Because you're acting like they are. Well, I, you wanted the truth, right? When you exactly. raise your right hand. Uh,
0: well, and by that point, it sounds like you had had to tr- like you had figured out the words, the language, the, the hand movements, all of these things, like you were mimicking their exact behavior. And now it's right. now you're the problem. Like, again, like this is yes. so gross. So this is this is one case. But what. If anything, is different in what is the same about the people that you interview on your show,
1: everything is the same. Everyone mm. I talk to with their cases, um, it's a different scenario. Uh, same case, different scenario. Yeah. It, the It's just the same playbook plays out against, you know, good fit parents, moms and dads that, uh, you know, the, these courts are churning this for a reason. The reason is to turn our children and give them personality disorders, turn our children against us. And then when they grow up, they're going to have problems in their relationships because of the past trauma. And then they're going to put some nice person, like, you know, who came from a nice family through this and create more havoc in their lives. And then the cycle just continues. And that's what they want. Yeah. So from a, from a social work perspective on this,
0: um, the African-American people and women specifically have known this for centuries. Oh, okay. Hundreds of years. Indigenous women have known this for years. If the state is involved in your child's care, they will start dictating to you how that needs to be. And that started with us going in, by the way, my own profession is not clean in its reputation. We would do the white glove treatment. And if, you know, if your house was dirty, we would say you were a bad parent back in the day. This, this, so this is new to white folks, unfortunately. I mean, I don't want it to be a thing for anybody, but, but Mm. BIPOC and and persons of color have known this for uh, hundreds of years. And then what happens is, okay, so as a social worker, I'm dealing with the child who does have mental health issues because this is, uh, who would, you know, I, listen, I don't, I have seen really bad child abuse and the child will still, because it's instinctual, stick by the parent the abuse parent and, and most often protect them. So it, it's a bio, it's, there's some biological stuff going on there, but you're okay. So regardless of the, the abuse, there's a lot of ways to deal with that, but the child gets impacted by this process in the same way. It gets impacted by preparing for school shootings. Um, you know, uh, the social media impact, all of these things, but they grow up to be adults who learn there is a good guy and a bad guy that that itself is a trauma response. Humans are just not that simple. We are very, we're we're complicated, but we're simple. We're not all good and we're not all bad, but what you can do with a 17 year old who's out doing drugs and shooting up the town because he's got mental health issues is you can throw him in jail. And that is a moneymaker because we have for-profit prisons. Most of the people in jail, regardless of the crime, most of them have a history of trauma. Why are we financially commodifying trauma. So that again, I, it's not, I'm not like anti-state, I'm an abolitionist, but I, I mean, I think there's regulation that needs to happen. But if the state is making profit off of somebody's pain, it's a tale as old as time. It's been happening since our country started when we, again, human trafficked uh, persons of color into this um, mm-hmm. country and clear cut The indigenous land, that is a very American way to deal with these issues. We are not, we are far more educated than this as a culture. I believe in my heart, we have far more knowledge, skills and experience that we could be sharing. There are different ways, better Mm -hmm. ways and the entire other part of the world has different legal systems that that do Mm -hmm. this differently. And so again, yes, we are commodifying trauma, and then we are calling people bad, and that is easy to throw them away. Then it's easy Mm -hmm. to throw them in a cell. But to your point, this is starting to happen up the chain to people Mm -hmm. who uh, had no, you know, they're fairly functioning, highly Mm -hmm. functioning, and now it's happening to them. So what do you hear in your podcast On what in your interviews, on what people are doing, can do, have done. What are the outside of the box ways that people are addressing this?
1: A lot of people have been court watching and going on Ah, Zoom. You know, Apple,
0: by the way, is also court watching. Yes, court watching is when you can go into a court and volunteer to listen to have a witness. What makes me angry about that is we have to do that on our own voluntary time. Why do citizens need to be in a court making sure the court does a job? Like, it's just gross to me that, that we have to go to this level, but yes, court watching. Oh, yes.
1: And, you know, what you have to do, especially on Zoom, and you can see these judges' behaviors and they will have a pro se trying to do their closing arguments and when he doesn't want to hear anymore. He just mutes. So not only do we need cameras. What? Wait, that is a yeah. violation of free speech. Right. That. See, this is why we need tamper-proof mics. I know cameras are important, but we yeah. need tamper-proof mics so he can't. He can push the button all he wants, but that person's going to finish what they have to say. Can you can you hold that judge accountable for for muting you? Well. People, the court watchers should file a complaint, and it's it's not on the judge's ruling. You don't want to file any a complaint on a judge's ruling. You want to file on their behaviors. He yelled at the pro se. He muted the pro se. Um, He he smirked. He was looking at his cell phone. He was on the computer while the pro se was Oh my God speaking. okay, the, these are the things that these court watchers, and I beg all of them to report these judges and opposing attorneys who are laughing when a pro se is crying, trying to get through their closing arguments. So, you know, I have reported, it goes nowhere.
0: If he, okay, so if a judge mutes the, the, um, vo, um, Sorry, if the judge mutes, is it in the court
1: transcripts, at least what the person says? Like, where's the court uh, recorder? That's a good question. If, if they're muted, then it, it's not on the record because it can't be heard. And who knows? Only the people in that room
0: at the time, which is why court watchers are so necessary.
1: Right. And a lot of people don't want to do it. I mean, if you're retired and you're bored and you don't know what to do with yourself, right. please. Go, you know what, it's going to be, it's going to be, you have to prepare yourself to see um, I know carnage. I mean, because you're going to see people be verbally abused. Yep. But we, this is where we need court watchers, please go into these courthouses and support these people that are being railroaded and yeah. continuously report. Even if you have court watched three times on a certain judge and it's do he's do behaviors are continuing, continue building a case. Them. Yeah. just like CPS does, build a case, keep reporting. But yes, so who are you who are you reporting these to? It would be whatever state is you know handles the judicial complaints, or you know the or the um, attorney complaints. Okay. You know. So um, I,
0: like we, if I'm licensed, they would report report to the Bureau of Professional Licensing. Is that the same um, thing in this, you know, like you, you, they they are held account, in theory, held accountable to the state for their behavior. So the more that the state knows about the behavior, the more that they, they can be looked into. But again, mm-hmm. let's not forget the judges that are making money on the side. Like I know a lo- um, some judges who are, funneling kids into juvenile detention and getting a kickback so so the judges are very well connected we are literally up against the highest ability of power they know they know who to know so this is this is a real uphill battle okay so there's court watching what else are are people doing that are um that's that's interesting on your radar
1: um you know they uh have have um written books, okay and told their story <clears throat> they have started um, they have started their own court watching groups, okay you know they have started trying to legislate legislature policy and stuff yes, and that that is also helping as well. Um, another thing that is, what kind of, can
0: you say more about that? What is, what are you seeing
1: happen in the policy arena? That, you know, th- this is very sad, not a whole lot. Okay. Um, I've heard on, from my guests that legislation, all, all, it's all lip service. You know, you can tell them your problems and what's going on. And, and uh, apparently that doesn't matter because bear in mind, this isn't $80 billion a year business.
0: Yes. Yes. And to the point of the legislatures, you have, they have to see the numbers. They have to see that this is impacting enough people. Um, I will say on the policy front, I'm aware of abolish CPS and a lot of BIPOC communities coming, coming forward and saying you are take, you have been taking our kids we're not like this is unacceptable, we want a change. And so they're starting to demand things. So that's another avenue is to get in groups who are advocating for things that you wanna see done. And they're in every state, just look in um, child advocacy.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, Claudia Ovias uh, with the custodial interference, she has groups in all 50 states that parents can contact, right. And um, which is like unbelievable. I'm very glad I interviewed her because I didn't know about these custodial interference laws. Another thing parents think that could be helping is to start laws like name the bill after a child that was murdered law. The thing is, and I did a podcast with Angel Law back November 29th, I believe, of 2023. And she says, you know, What another 501c3? We're going to have another bill or a law. Still, children are being murdered at pickup and drop offs. It's doesn't you can have as many laws as you want, it's still happening. In fact, one law is kind of frightening to me because I've had false allegations that if passed, this law would make it so a judge won't need a conviction, just evidence or good reason. To believe one parent is a threat to the child, or the other parent to stop visitation rights, and when I heard that, I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Uh, This happened to me, and I was no danger. Okay, so I okay. If a judge wants to figure out who's trying to withhold the child from the parent, you know, the judge should have a psychology degree. The attorneys should have psychology degrees, yeah, in-depth ones with personality disorders, I I know I'm kind of going off the topic, but these judges have to be aware of personality disorders. How come when I'm court watching, I can see what, I'm not a psychologist, but from dealing with uh, what I've dealt with, it's very easy to spot. Well, and I think to
0: yeah, to your point, like random um, you know, named after a child, look, that's great to honor the child, but it's a piecemeal Band-Aid. It is not addressing the root cause of this, which is the the whole belief that people are property and that there is a good, it's a very colonial way of looking at it. There is a good person and there is a bad person. But to your point with the judges, and I'm not going to defend judges, but I will say in many professions that help or start out helping assuming the judge started out helping, what happens over time is that they themselves have experienced so much what's called vicarious trauma, that they are numb and disassociated. They also experience something called moral injury, which is how, when they have to, like, in my cases, like, I've had to make really difficult decisions where it goes against my own beliefs, but I'm doing what I think is right. And so they, they struggle with that. And then finally, there's something called compassion fatigue, which mm-hmm. is the fact that It's all day, every day, trauma, 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 and they don't have a break. And because of that, again, they numb out, they disassociate, they stop seeing people as human and they Mm -hmm. start being a little bit resentful that there's so much happening. So then they really like, like this happens in substance use too. Like it, you make an enemy out of your client. And so again, I'm not defending judges, but the process it's, it's not, it's not, um congruent with them having a good quality of life either, unless we're talking financial.
1: Right, right, right. And, you know, and the scary thing to go back about this law is that a judge won't need a conviction, just evidence or right. the good reason to believe. He can believe whatever he wants. No, no, there has to be um documented proof. A Judge just can't just like my right. judge was doing. Oh, she's she is. Yeah, she's I don't, I don't care if she was exonerated. She's still uh, abusing But it's a kid. quick way to sign
0: off like, oh, check this one's done. And I, to your point, a lot of laws are very snaky like that. Good reason. That is a very vast yes. uh, subjective thing to be throwing out there. It's the same type of bullshit that I was held in in my pub in the public health call. It was this very possibly impaired without going into my story, I was held in a carceral program for five years under the possibility that something would happen. This is the same thing. Good reason. Well, what the fuck is a good reason? Like that—that right. that is so subjective. Each, it, a good reason can be, I want to be out of here by five.
1: Oh, right. Right. <laughs> oh Literally. yeah. I want to be out of here by five so I can go uh, drink at the bar at the same watering hole with the attorneys and judges and right. go golfing with them. Yes, exactly. So that
0: is, that is wishy-washy watered down bullshit policy that we are full of in this country to say we've done something but never address the root causes. I'm really angry about that. I'm sure your population is angry about that. It is not that these systems are inherently evil. It is that the way that we are running things is dehumanizing to mm-hmm. everyone involved, from the child, to the parent, to the judge, to the people making money in the prisons. It is, we have, we have taken out the humanness because we are so, um, what's the word mm-hmm. I'm looking for? Uh, it's well-oiled, like you said, it's just, it, we're, we're so um, advanced that we don't need to include the humanness in these things anymore, but right. it is precisely the humanness that connects us all and probably would um, prevent further child abuse if we actually looked at it.
1: Right, right. In fact, I stood out in front of a courthouse saying, you know, family court, you know, the the corruption, whatever it said on the sign. And a lawyer, a male male lawyer walked by and he looked, did that. And then a female lawyer, um, uh, I believe she was African-American. She looked at the sign, she goes, yep, Yep. You're right on that one. And then she kept walking, but yeah, I mean, they're busy. They had to keep walking, but um, I saw families come in with, with kids that were 13, 14, or it's in strollers. I'm going, oh my, just run. Don't go in there. I think the goal is to stop this big charade is to start talking to young people even married couples, people thinking about divorce or going through a divorce, just because you're going through a divorce doesn't mean you have to run into a courtroom. You guys can figure this stuff out on your own. Now, yeah. the the catch 22 is when someone else comes into your life, you cannot allow them to influence your co-parent, count, your co-parent relationship. I wish
0: every parent knew that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've got to put your foot down. And say, yeah, I, I know you're telling me that that uh, dad or mom has them more nights, but this is this right. has been working fine for eight years. We're just going to leave it alone, right. leave it alone. Well,
0: yeah. And to your point, like you're coming into a situation. You don't know the whole backstory. You don't know the other person. You don't know those children. It's fine if you have an opinion, but there are two parents. Let them mm-hmm. be parents. Right. And and again, if they've grown up in a a very chaotic situation between like I just oh I mean the whole idea that we're shoving kids back and forth all week and then we wonder why they're bipolar when they grow up just just (laughs) bizarre. like hello like that's so unstable for a child but anyway um that the child is experiencing that yes the child has a right to have a say but Mm -hmm. they're going to grow up in that chaos not knowing how to parent because the parents were so worried about being the parent that they needed to be for the fucking court system.
1: Exactly. Walking on eggshells when you do have your kids, because right. uh, like even trying to joke around with my kids, they would like, look at me like, yeah, maybe she is crazy. That's really <laughs> Right, right. Okay. You know, and the thing is, when we divorced, the kids were six, three, and two. So I did this when they were very young. Okay. And they were used to going back and forth between the houses, you know, and, and plus I, I did have them a little bit more than he did, but I, I didn't care. I, yeah. I didn't say, Oh, I have them more. I think I'm gonna run down to domestic relations and do this to you. I never did that to him. Yeah. I mean, I I never but again, we we uh,
0: if you're if you're thinking like there's only gonna be there's there's only one winner. Then I see a lot of parents do this power struggle with like, well, I have to be the, I have to be seen as the good parent. No, I have to be seen as good. You're doing it wrong. Well, you're doing it wrong. Okay. Yes. There are a lot of things we're both doing wrong here, but again, what's in the best interest of the child. And if you can't think that way, if you're in survival mode, you can't think that big picture way. Would, why are you still doing this podcast? What do you get out of it?
1: Um, well, it's helping parents get their story out. And it's sometimes for the better, I've had one parent come on and, you know, right before her case, trial, whatever, and, you know, she texted me afterwards, like a couple days later, and she said the first thing when she, you know, was she got up there into your table or wherever you sit, the judge said, okay, I heard the podcast. And then CPS got up and wanted to terminate her rights. And the judge says, no, she's a mother, she has evidence, and she will be heard. And wow. Uh, so, um, if that if if that can help a parent, then let I'm just going to keep listening. I'm going to what 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 I am going to do, I think I told you is uh second week of March. I'm just gonna do podcasts probably three times or two times a week because I I'm getting compassion fatigue. I'm I'm getting, it's starting to affect my health. So I've Mm -hmm. got to take care of myself and just just go slow. And um, I've got enough content, you know, people can look through. I agree. I agree. So your uh, slam the gavel
0: is so full of people's stories. And even if you don't like, so for instance, even if somebody doesn't come on to be interviewed by you, they can go back to your podcast and listen to experiences that are similar to theirs and use that as a proactive measure. In their courtroom saying, well, you know, on this podcast, they talk about this issue. So this is further some sort of support for my case, they can build their own case.
1: By yeah, going evidence, the sure, yeah, yeah, they could use it as the uh, evidence, whatever that would help their case. And uh, you know, I- I've interviewed you, and you've helped yeah. with healing and trauma. I've mm-hmm. interviewed divorce coaches. um I've interviewed psychologists. I-, I don't want people to think, oh, it's her again talking about right. family court. So I have a variety of of things. You even on interviewed that. judges. Yes.
0: I saw that the other day, and I was like, "Oh, how I wonder how that interview was." And I hadn't listened to it yet, but yeah. So you you have tried to build resources for people. It sounds like as well,
1: right, right, and also with ADA advocates, which would really help a lot of people. You know, um, and absolutely, uh, yeah. There's there's resources on there, and people you know people can listen to it, do their research and make sure that's what they wanna do. They don't have to take yep. my word for it. I always say, hey, if you're not sure about what what I'm offer- putting out there, by all yeah. means do your research and decide what you wanna do.
0: Yes, absolutely. And that's my frame of reference too. Like, I don't have your answers. I have some answers that may work for you, but you're the one that gets to figure out what works for you. I love that you're doing this work. I thank you for doing this work. I feel like these are unheard stories. And the one thing I want to say about this is to survive any of these twilight zone, nightmarish situations, find support. I don't care where, but find quality support. Find quality just like you, find the advocacy groups, find the books that you need to read, find the experts, all of those things. This is never going to be an easy situation. It isn't supposed to be fair. It's not set up to be fair. It is not true justice. It is a system that plugs in place. And so if you can keep that in mind and separate that from who you believe you are, you might just survive. And Mm -hmm. to your point, I don't know what your relationship is with your daughter or children right now, but they have seen a a strong, capable, intelligent woman address her case, stand up for herself, advocate for herself and take her tragedy and turn it around and help other people. And if they can't learn from that, that's on them.
1: That's on them, right, right. So I I, think-
0: much.
1: Oh, I thank you because I'm going to have you back on my podcast. I love interviewing you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> You're a wealth so of knowledge. Oh, my God. I've been on there like three or four times now, and I'll have you back, but I'm going to share you with my audience and see um, if we can spread the message because this is happening to uh, just this, this, it's gross how often this happens. So, yes. anything you want to share? Anything else?
1: you know what talk to people you know i hate to say eavesdrop on people's conversations but when they start talking about you know family court or going through a divorce say, you know talk to them and tell them you know you can you know stay out just you have to stay out because you they will literally financially drain you and your any help that you could offer your child in the future money will be gone i've had to tell my my youngest two i've had to say look if anything bad happens i financially can't help you right 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 and so again if you're victimized which is exactly the
0: the situation many entities want us to be in if you're victimized you can't help anybody else if you're drained of your own internal resources you can't be a support for your kid well what does that mean it means i i Again, I have worked for the state, so I'm very delicate. I don't think the state is evil per se, but it means that they, oh, well go to this doctor who may or may not help you go to this judge who may or may not help you go to the school who may or may not help you. And nobody's yeah. helping you. And then you're an adult and then they blame you for your problems. Right. So that's, that's, that is an American way as old this time and other countries don't do it this way. And there are solutions, but don't lose yourself in the process.
1: Right, right. You oh, have to stay thank grounded. You
0: so much. We will do this again. I'll have you back, but um, I will let you go on with your day. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Lori. You have oh, no idea. Thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you. All right, hang on. Thanks, everybody. Hey everybody, welcome to Cloud of Compass Podcast. This is Lori Smith, your host. You want to know more about me? Do you want to work with me? Do you like what I have to say? Um, do you want to write me hate mail? Check me out on social media. I'm at Cloud A Compass 2021 on TikTok and Cloud of Compass 2021 on Instagram i started this podcast because i wanted to share my knowledge skills and experience as an lmsw of 20 years i am a survivor of help that harmed i have had mental health issues my aces score is high i've had a history of trauma but i also have some professional skills knowledge and experience that you might benefit from i have been a certified diabetes educator for 10 years i have worked in um, doctor's offices as a care manager with chronic health issues I am certified. Um, I'm a certified anxiety treatment provider, certified um, trauma provider, certified in compassion fatigue, addiction-informed mental health, and most recently a human rights consultant. I am the author of the book Life Hacks with Life Hacks: Tips and Tricks for Accessing Your Inner Resilience. I am the owner of Resilience Coach, which is an outpatient behavioral health therapy, and most recently, I am the owner of Cloud Compass Coaching Consulting um, which is part of this podcast. I have courses in, um, recovery oriented material, uh, neurodivergent, um, information coming in. So I have courses, I have webinars, I have um, guests on my podcast. I have merchandise coming out soon. I have a link tree on my social media where you can access all of these things. I'd love for you to learn more about me. Love to you to you to see if we are a good fit for working together and in the month of december i am hosting a half off special of my of my signature course um, because i want to share this information with the world it is a six-week course with 12 sessions um, 12 videos of me Um, again i'm a little neurodivergent, so it's a little um it's not what you're gonna expect from a course on transformation, but it is useful information. It is what I have found practical in my practice. It has the 12 video sessions, but it also has 200-page workbook of tools for self-regulation. And we teach how to uncover your own innate skill set. This is why I called my company Clouded Compass, because there are things that we have not been pointed towards. And once we align with our internal assets, our life becomes um, a little bit, uh, 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 we become empowered period. So check me out, check me out on all my social media. Please leave comments. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear you. Um, see you join my course and please leave comments about the podcast too. I'd love to know what your favorite um, podcasts are, which ones you think really suck. And let's build community together. Let's educate, empower, and evolve. And let's uncover your own innate assets. Stay tuned.